Thanks, Bob. As, as you were telling your story of being scoped, I, I was reminded of a few years ago I had a, an issue um, in the, uh, the surgeon had to do an MRI on my brain, and, and they did this MRI of, of my brain, and the doctor came back and said, good news, Mr. Hamill, we found nothing. <laughs> From the word of the Lord this morning, Psalm chapter 103, just listen to these words, starting at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This morning I want to start with a story. It's not a true story. It's not even a biblical story. At the end, though, I think it's a, a, a funny story, so... I think it's okay to chuckle in church, so you may want to laugh if you choose at the end. The story goes like this. A mother had two little boys. She had a seven-year-old and a five-year-old boy's uh, boy, and they were always getting into trouble. They were naughty, nasty, incorrigible little boys. Now, I realize you don't have boys like this at Ebenezer, but other churches have them. And this mother had two of them, seven and five, naughty, nasty, encourageable little boys. And she wanted for her boys to be good boys, to be godly boys. And so she took them, these boys to her pastor. And she said, Pastor, could you do something for my boys? Could you say something to my boys that would help them to be good boys, to be honorable boys, even to be godly little boys? The pastor thought to himself, what, what could I say to these two little boys that would help them be good and honorable and godly little boys? And then he, he thought, I'm going to tell them that God is everywhere and sees everything that they do, and that will help them be good boys. So he took the five-year-old and he brought him into his office. He left the seven-year-old out in the outer office and he took that five-year-old and he sat him on his big leather chair. And he knelt down before him and he looked that little five-year-old in the eye. And he said this, once again, trying to help him understand that God is everywhere and sees everything he does. He said this, young man, do you know where God is? The little boy didn't say a thing. Pastor thought, well, maybe I need to say it again a, a little more loudly, more boldly for effect. Young man. Do you know where God is? Tears started to well up in the little boy's eyes. The pastor thought, I'm finally getting through. I'm going to say it one more time, even more loudly and more boldly for effect. Young man, do you know where God is? At that point, the five-year-old jumped to his feet, ran to the door, opened it up, grabbed his brother in the outer office by the sleeve, dragged him down the hall, came to the first door, which happened to be a janitor's closet, threw his brother into the closet, jumped in, slammed the door, sat down on the crown, and started weeping. His older brother had no idea what was going on and turned to him and said, Bro, 
what's the matter? What did they do to you? And the five-year-old turned to his older brother and said, somebody stole God and they think that we did it. (laughs) It would be a shame for most of us A shame for most of us here at Ebenezer Baptist Church to think that somehow God was being stolen from our families, from our neighborhoods, from our communities, wouldn't it? It would be a true shame if we thought that this place where God has planted this church, that the community around it somehow had God stolen from its presence, that the name of Jesus and the glory of God could no longer be seen. In the scripture that was already read this morning from Luke chapter 15, I just want to reread the first two verses for us this morning. And hear how some people want, wanted God to be stolen. It says this, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were near to listen to him. That him is Jesus. Jesus had gathered around him those who are outside of the the main of society, the tax collectors, the sinners. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. The New International Version uses the word, they muttered. I love that. They muttered against Jesus, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I'm pretty convinced this morning that Jesus wanted to make sure that God was never stolen from the people around him. To drive that point home, Jesus told three stories. We've heard them this morning already, and I know that you know them well, but I want to tell them to you again this morning. I'm going to use a little bit of an evangelical imagination this morning. I'm not going to walk us word for word through the text. I encourage you to look at the text again sometime this week to make sure I do this well. But I do want to use some evangelical imagination and retell the three stories that Jesus told, once again to remind us all that Jesus should not be stolen from those around us. The stories go like this. Jesus said a shepherd had 100 sheep. And every day, the shepherd, at the end of his shift, he counted those sheep. 97, 98, 99, 100. And he would take his clipboard, and he would sign off that all those sheep were present and accounted for. He would hand the, ship, the, uh, the clipboard to the night shift, and he would go home and he'd enjoy a wonderful dinner with his wife because his job had been done well. Every day. 97, 98, 99, 100, sign the clipboard, give it to the next shift, go and enjoy the dinner at home because his job had been done well. One day, though, he counted the sheep. 97, 98, 99, 99, 99. And one of those sheep was missing. Now, friends, I need to tell you I'm not much of a sheep guy. I I don't really enjoy sheep that much. I don't hang out with sheep. I don't care for sheep all that much. And so for me, 99 out of 100, close enough. In fact, 
For most of my life, 99 out of 100 would have been close enough. You don't know me well, but in high school, if I would have brought a math test home that said on the top of it, 99 out of 100, and I would have given that math test to my mother, after we picked her up from the floor from being shocked, she would have done a little happy dance all around our living room because 99 out of 100 for me was really pretty close enough. But you know what? When you're counting sheep and 99 out of 100 comes up for a shepherd, it's not. So the Bible, the scriptures, Jesus said that the shepherd, he took the 99 and he put them, I think, in a pen. Had the night shift come and look after them. And then he said he went out into the wilderness. He walked through the mud and the briars around fields, up and down the valleys and mountains, calling for and looking for this one lost sheep. And after a day of looking, sweating, toiling to find this one sheep, he hears the bleeding, the the sound of a sheep's voice in the distance, and he goes to find it. He says when he finds it, he lifts it up and he puts it on his back. Now, this is not a little lamb. This is not a fluffy doll that you give your grandchildren or your children at Easter time. This is a full-born sheep. And he puts it on his, his, his shoulders. And he carries it back to the pen. And he puts it with the other 99. And then the shepherd does something odd, something strange, even something bizarre. He throws a party. He invites all of his friends and his relatives and his neighbors. And he says, come, we're going to have, I found my missing sheep party. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been invited to an I found my missing sheep party. I don't know what you bring as a present or a gift to an I found my missing sheep party. I don't, I don't know, does, does Hallmark even have a card for an I found my missing sheep? I mean, what would that look like, the card on the outside? I'm so happy you found your lamb. Open it up. Hope you're happy as a clam. I don't know what that would look like. In fact, I don't even know what you serve at an I found my li- missing lamb party. I know what you don't serve at an I found my missing lamb party. But he found, he threw this party. And all his friends and his relatives and his neighbors rejoiced because something was lost. And then something was found. And there was great rejoicing. The second story goes something like this a woman had 10 coins. Now, we don't know what those ten coins actually represented. Bible scholars differ on what the meaning of those coins actually were. Some say they were a type of dowry that she received from her husband. And in essence, she would wear them around her neck. And these ten coins were somewhat of a savings account for her. In case anything ever happened to her husband, she would always have these coins, this money, to help her. Some say it was more like a wedding symbol, like we have our wedding rings. They would have a set of 10 coins that she would wear around her neck. Bible scholars aren't sure, but 
Jesus says the woman had ten coins and one was missing. Somehow it slipped away. It fell far from her. And in my mind, I see the woman being frantic because she's lost this coin. And she takes a lamp because in those days, first century Palestine, the homes were made of brick, of mud brick, in thatched roofs. And it was dark inside without a lot of windows, without light coming in. So she lights a lamp. And on the other hand, I see her with a broom. And she starts to move from room to room, sweeping the dust because the floors of the homes were all just ground. They were dust. And she begins sweeping the room left and right, in and out, up and down, looking for this lost coin. And you can sort of smell it in your own nostrils as the dirt and the grime and the soil begins to lift in the air. And she looks from room to room to room. And finally, there's a glint, there's a glimmer in the corner. And she reaches down with her hand and she pulls up a handful of dirt, of soil. And she brushes it away and inside there's a coin. It's the missing coin. And then Jesus says the woman does something odd, something strange, even a little bizarre. She throws a party. She throws a celebration. And she invites all of her friends and relatives and neighbors for an I found my missing coin party. And there, there's food and celebration and dancing because something was lost. And then something was found. And there was much rejoicing. Jesus tells A third story. The story is of two sons. And one of the sons comes to his father and says, Father, give me the inheritance that I think I deserve and give it to me now. Now let me stop right there and try to let you see how Jesus is allowing these stories to progress in intensity. The first story, there was one sheep out of 100 that was lost. So one out of a hundred, one percent of the sheep was lost. And the second story, one out of ten coins were lost. So ten percent. So we started with the one percent, now we're at ten percent. In this story, one out of two sons becomes lost. So now fifty percent is lost. So Jesus is sort of increasing the intensity of these stories. One percent to ten percent to fifty percent. In the first story, the sheep, I think, was a commodity. It was something to be sold, bartered, to gain financial wealth from. And the second story, it was something sentimental, something of emotional importance. In the third story, though, the son is relational. It's close. It's intimate. It's authentic. And so Jesus is ratcheting up the intensity of these stories, and he says that, There's these two sons, and the father gives the second son the inheritance. And the second son takes off. He goes to a far corner, far country, and there he does things that honestly would have broken his father's heart. And he spends all of his money on wine, women, and song. And then a famine hits. And the son, with no more resources, 
with no more ability to take care of himself on his own, he hires himself out to a pig farmer. Now that's not the best place for a young Jewish boy to be in the midst of caring for pigs. And he finds himself eating the pods, the pig food, so that he's not hungry himself. And then Jesus uses this wonderful phrase. He says that the young man came to his senses. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? It's a story of repentance, a story of changing one's mind, a story of inner transformation that takes place. And the young man says to himself, my father's servants are treated better than I am. I should go back to my father. And he starts to rehearse, I think, a speech. And the speech goes something like this. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me your servant. And the son begins a long trek home. And I think step by step, he rehearses that speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me your servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me your servant. Step after step, mile after mile, city after city, the son, the young man rehearses the speech. I think he's still giving that speech as he turns the corner to his father's home. But Jesus said, while the young man was still a far way away, I see the father at the door of his house, the door of this ranch, the door of the farm. The father looks out and he sees a shadow coming up the distant road. And he he quickly realizes it's his lost son. And Jesus says, the father runs. He takes off. He bolts as fast as he can. And he makes his way all the way to the sun. And the sun begins the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me your servant. And the father cuts him off. And he embraces him. And he takes a brand new robe and he puts it on him. And then the father does something maybe not so odd or strange, or bizarre. The father throws a party. And he invites all of his friends and relatives and co-workers and says, come celebrate. We're having I found my lost son party. Because something was lost and something was found. And there was much rejoicing. You say, but Dan, what's the purpose of these stories? Why did Jesus, in the midst of grumbling and complaining Pharisees and scribes who didn't want Jesus hanging around with sinners, why does Jesus take time to communicate these three parables, three, these three stories? Hold that question for just a second, and let me tell you another story. It's a personal story. When we lived in the state of Illinois, I used to fix my cars on a regular basis. We were younger. The cars weren't in good shape. 
And so I actually enjoyed going out every Saturday morning and, and sort of crawling under my cars and seeing what was wrong with them and fixing various parts and replacing and repairing. And when I did that, I had this green sweatshirt. It was just a, a normal green sweatshirt, but over the years I had worn it every time that I went out to, to fix my cars. And it was one of those sweatshirts that after a while just sort of began to fit you perfectly. You felt really comfortable in it. And I loved to put that sweatshirt on on a Saturday morning and go out and crawl under my cars and start to fix it. It, it had, was frayed up here, the shoulders. It had a little grease stain here, and it had a hole on the end. And so one Saturday morning, I got up on a, on a cool morning, and I thought, I need my sweatshirt because I want to go out and fix my car. And I went to grab my green sweatshirt, and I couldn't find it. So, so I called my daughter, Kelsey, who was five years, my little Goldilocks of a girl. And I said, Kelsey, do you, do you know where Daddy's sweatshirt is? And she said, oh, Daddy, you mean the one that has the, the, the frayed collar up here and the grease stain there and the hole in the, the, the sleeve there? And I said, yeah, that's the one. She said, no idea, no clue. I, I went to my son, who would have been about seven or eight years old at that point. I said, Andrew, my son, my boy who's quickly becoming a man, do you know where daddy's sweatshirt is? He said, you mean the one with the uh, frayed shoulder and the grease stain here and the hole in the shoulder? I said, yeah, that's the one. He said, dad, no clue. I called my wife. I said, Rhonda, love of my life, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We can talk that way because we're both Bible school graduates. I said, do you, do you know where my green sweatshirt is? And she said, well, you mean the one with the hole up here and this grease stain there? Hole the... I said, that's it. She goes, haven't seen it. So you know what I did? I grabbed my blue sweatshirt, put it on, and went out and fixed my car. Because even though I liked my green sweatshirt, even though it was comfortable, even though it was something I wore every time, now get this, even though I liked it, I did not treasure it. It was not important enough for me to treasure, to spend time and effort and energy looking for something. I did not treasure. So get this. Why does God, why does Jesus give us these three parables? If you're going to write anything down or remember anything this morning, here it is. We have these three parables, I think, because God wanted to remind us that God treasures lost people. God treasures, adores, seeks, and searches for, and wants to find lost people. In 1851, five German Baptist churches gathered in Philadelphia. And they said to themselves, what can we do together better than we can do alone? What can we do to look out into our communities and our neighborhoods and reach a throng of German immigrants who are coming around us? What can we do to seek and to save lost people? And how can we do that better together? And friends, that was the start of the North American Baptist Conference. 
You see, from the very start of our conference, there was a desire to look out and to seek people who was lost. Because we knew even then that God treasured lost people. Decades and decades ago, when this church was founded, and it was fun this morning, looking at the pictures that you have of this church over the years, the various congregations and the pastors who have led this this church, but this church was formed and founded and placed right here. Why? Because God treasures lost people. And God wanted a church right here in the city of Vancouver, right at this place, because God knew that there would be lost people surrounding you in neighborhoods and communities, in stores and workplaces, lost people that God treasured and wanted to simply find through the people of this church. Friends, God treasures lost people. So this morning, perhaps you've wandered into this place. And you would say to me, Dan, I feel sort of lost. I feel like God is distanced from me. I've never known this Jesus who loves and cares for and died for lost sinners. If that's you this morning and you're just feeling this tug on your heart to talk to someone, Pastor George would love to talk to you today. Or maybe even Bob Cron afterwards. And if you just want to seek them out and say, I don't even know what this all means, but I just feel lost. Can you show me how to find this Jesus? They would love to do that for you. Maybe you're a regular here. Maybe you find yourself in one of these seats every single week. But you find yourself in a lost state this morning. Like the hymn that we sang at the very beginning of the service, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Perhaps you, like the prodigal son, have wandered away. And even though you sit here and people and others around you think, boy, you're you're good and you're close to God, but in your heart of hearts, you're saying, boy, I, I just, I feel lost. I feel like I've drifted. I feel like I've wandered. God loves lost people. He treasures them and wants you to repent, to come to your senses, and to turn back to him. And once again, there's great staff here at the church who would love to spend some time with you this week, just discovering with you how to come back to the God who loves you. But finally, for the rest of us, I want to remind you that there's lost people around us. As you journey off from this church today, as as you go, you go as missionaries. You go as missionaries into your neighborhoods, into your workplaces, into your schools, into the places of recreation that you go to. You journey today as God's missionaries. And as missionaries, God calls you to treasure lost people like he treasures lost people. As you go out today, perhaps there'll be someone that you see, a neighbor, a relative, a friend, who needs to know from you 
that God treasures lost people. Would you go as God's missionary today? Would you leave this place not simply as church being done, but as church just starting? That church doesn't end at the end of the service. Church begins as the church spreads into neighborhoods and communities and places of recreation and workplaces. And the church goes as a missionary people, and you go as a missionary people to spread God's love and to remind lost people through your words and your actions that God treasures lost people. Last story. When my daughter Kelsey was about three or four years old, we had a a bedtime ritual. My wife Rhonda would get her all ready for bed, teeth brushed, hair combed, all that good stuff, and she would go and tuck her in. And then I would come and join them, and we would turn off the light, and, and I would put my face right close to Kelsey's as she snuggled into her covers, and we would pray together, and then I would say these two words to her. I would say, Kelsey, Daddy loves you. And she would look at me, and she'd say, Daddy, I love you more. And I would say to her, Kelsey, I love you more and more and more and more. And she would say, Daddy, I love you more and 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 more. And I'd say, Kelsey, I love you more and 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 more. And she'd say, Daddy, I love you more and 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 more. People of God, be reminded. God loves. He treasures lost people. He loves them more and 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 more. God treasures lost people. What do we treasure? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, bite us in the heart now in places that we need to be bitten to understand that right now, at this very time, there are people in our neighborhoods, in our community, surrounding this church in grocery stores and shopping malls, on streets and corners, in schools and workplaces, there are people that are lost. They are far away from Jesus. They have drifted from him. And Jesus simply wants them to return. And he wants to use us as his missionary people to call them back to himself. God, bite us in the heart to remind us of this. And as you do, we will be obedient people to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.